right. And like I had mentioned, we're talking about rest. And if you want to just get up, grab a coffee, drink food, whatever, go right ahead. And uh, don't worry if your kids are screaming or whatever. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, I, I, my desire is that this will be a place of rest for you and an opportunity of rest. And rest rest to me seems like this elusive idea. And ever since having kids, um, it seems even more so. It's this, this idea that's just out of reach, that I long for rest, I yearn for rest, I desire rest, but it's not something I feel like I truly get. So I just started this off as questioning, what is rest? Uh, is it merely the absence of working? Is it just, you just stop doing everything? Um, is it ceasing all activity? Uh, but sometimes people go out and they have activities which they find restful. And if I go out golfing for the day, that's restful. So what is rest? Is it not doing something or doing only things I enjoy? And why is rest so important? Is it more than just simply recharging our batteries? And how do we find rest? Because, again, all of us here have kids or have had kids and s still have them. They're just older and out of the house. We have r jobs, relationships, responsibilities that need to get done, and so on. And when we're not working, we still have to get groceries, do the laundry, do yada, yada, yada. And have you ever discovered that when you finally stop to rest, you actually start feeling more irritable and tired than before? That's my dilemma. And I find it fitting that our Getting By series, this is, is This As Good As It Gets, is actually ending on this value of rest. Because I think sometimes we're just getting by and we push rest to the side. But we're actually saying here as a church that we value rest. So let's explore what it is and let's try and find how to tap into it. Because I believe what comes with rest is that we actually discover that there's so much more to life. I just want to actually start off with a word of prayer to, to even just calm my spirit as, as we get into this and explore um, what's ahead. Jesus, I'm crying out to you now that you make yourself known. God, speak through me and, and what you're working in my heart and what you've been saying to me. And God, I pray that uh, we'll have an encounter with you and that we'll discover rest. That we'll encounter rest, embrace it, and Lord, that we'll enter into this new way of life. So God, help us just uh, leave the distractions behind and enter into this place of rest, of meeting you. In your name we pray, amen. So I have to admit that I'm a doer. I want to get things done. And it pains me to actually say that because I'm always on my family for it because they're more of a doer than I am. And I'm always like, slow down, put your feet up, don't do anything. And, and they have a cottage up north that we go to. And as soon as we get there, I want to just settle in with a good book 
and they want to fix it up and paint this and fix that. And I'm like, no, come on. And then when they start trying to get me in on it, then it's like, this isn't vacation anymore. I, I long to be the contemplative type, the, the person who can sit there and reflect and contemplate on li uh, life's deeper truths, but I can't. I can do it for a time, and that's where I think I love education, and I've continued on with it, because it forces me to do that, but I find that as soon as there isn't that pressure that I have to uh, um, do something, I'm not doing an assignment, it's so hard to just sit there. And in fact, last week, I, I went for a minor surgery, and uh, it, my, it, it, um, do you mind me sharing? I'll check with my wife. <laughs> Most everyone already knows, I went in for a vasectomy, and uh, so we're keeping it at two kids, and uh, the doctor's orders after that is to rest, and uh, so for the first couple of days, I did that. I soaked up the time, I laid in bed and caught up on all my movies. But then as soon as I felt better, I'm like, okay, let's go. Let's... So this week, what happened was Thursday came, and I could not sit, I could not stand, I could not walk without being in pain. And I called up the doctor, and, and I'm like, I'm not sure if something's wrong. And she's like, well, what have you been doing in the last few days? And I'm like, well, rearranging our bedroom furniture and doing this and that. <laughs> And she's like, you need to rest. And it, it, it killed me inside because I'm like, here I am speaking on rest this week, and I'm not following doctor's orders. So this message is as much to me as it is to, to all of us because it's something that I'm still learning on and learning how to uh, explore and lean into and embrace. So merely what tonight is, it's these observations that I'm, I'm learning, and kind of it's a way to start the discussion on what it is together. Because the thing is, we need community. That's what we just talked about last week and looked at. And we need to encourage each other as a community to hold, to hold each other accountable to lean into rest and to practice rest. And here's what I love about the Bible and about a good sermon is that it doesn't resolve life's issues or tensions within 30 minutes. If my message can actually just do that and summarize it and you can be on your way, think twice whether or not it's a good message because there is so much more to life and the, there is so much more to Scripture and it's this dynamic word that speaks to us, that lives and breathes and I think begins the discussion more than finalizes it. And I know in our culture, we, we like to come to it and we like to say, okay, what's the final word? What does the Bible have to say about it? And I'm not taking away the authority of Scripture, but what I think Scripture actually does is it begins the discussion and it starts shaping us to a way of life and to the character of God. And it helps us and it invites us into this discovery of this new way of life that's found in Jesus. So tonight my prayer is that the message that's been working on me will spill over and give you guys some hope and begin working on you and that it will start some first words, some discussion as to what it means for us to encounter rest, what it could look like for us and how we can imagine this transforming our individual lives, our family, our workplaces, 
and even our world, to what it could look like living in restful rhythms. So in my mind, just so you can follow along with where I'm going with this, I want to look at the theological foundation of rest, the theological aspect. I want to look at some conceptual ideas of rest, and then I want to lower it down into some practical and personal ways of experiencing rest. So to explore some of the theological aspects to creating this rhythm of rest, we need to look at rhythm. Because there's rhythm to everything in life. There's rhythm in everything. And if you think about it, you wake up in the morning and you get dressed, you have breakfast, you go to work, you have lunch, you come home, you have dinner, play with the kids, watch Netflix, go to bed, and you do it all over again. There's this rhythm. And then to think about it another way, you breathe in, you breathe out. You inhale, you exhale, and you're going to do it again. There's rhythm. But have you ever gotten to this point where your days just feel all the same? Tuesday feels like Saturday, which feels like Monday, which feels like Sunday, and you're just like, come on, there's got to be more to this. And recently, I, I read this interesting uh, fact that animals in a zoo, if they're on display for more than six days in a row, they actually start showing adverse behaviors. So there's even this, this rhythm to creation within zoo animals that are on display. They need that day to rest. There's a six-day rhythm built into creation. And in fact, the Bible begins with this six-day rhythm that's built into creation. But just before we get there, and the question of why rest if everything's already good, I want to skip ahead to the book of Exodus. And in the first chapter of the book of Exodus, it talks about how the Hebrew slaves in Egypt had to make bricks every day. So the Hebrews or the Israelites, God's chosen people, they're captive, they're, they're slaves in Egypt, and they're tasked with making bricks. Brick, brick, brick. Day after day. Talk about despair. When every day looks like every other day. But then the Hebrews are rescued from slavery in Egypt and brought into the desert where God commands them to set aside one day a week and do no work. And in Exodus 16, it kind of explores how God would provide for them and, and they would collect their food each day and they didn't have to take any more than necessary. But on the sixth day, then they would collect two days worth so that they could just be on that one day off from work. But some of them can't do it. They can't take a day off from work. And that sounds very familiar to my own life. But you see, in Egypt, their worth and their value as slaves came from how many brick, bricks they produced. But when they left that life behind, they also left behind their understanding of what it meant to be a human being. So one of the first things they're told to do is spend one day a week Remembering that they're not slaves anymore, that their worth and value don't come from how many bricks they're producing. 
In other words, this day was to remind them that they're human beings. They're not human doings. And what's striking about this story is that even though they get out of Egypt, it takes a while to get Egypt out of them. Have you ever felt like you're just going through the motions? Again, it's one day, the next day, the next day. The same, day after day. And you, like, you can't distinguish one day from the next. I, I wasn't a fan of the, the baby stage when our kids were younger because I would lose track of days. Just, I'm like, what day is it? Or have you ever felt like you're just a, a cog in the wheel? Or like your worth and value is coming from how many bricks you're producing. You see, the story about Egypt is a story about us. I have some Egypt in me. I'm, I'm a slave to my work. I'm a slave to my phone, to my to-do list. And I need help. <laughs> and the more people I talk to is we're kind of all in the same situation. I know I'm not alone. And I was actually going to put up my to-do list up there, but it would have been too depressing and would have just stressed me out on the spot. But in the Bible and the Jewish tradition, setting aside one day a week that would be different from the others is called Sabbath. And if you've grown up in the church at all, you've probably heard this, you might have practiced it, you might still practice it. But it's a day set aside to rest. And what's interesting is that in the Ten Commandments, they're recorded twice in Scripture. There's one in Deuteronomy and another recorded in Exodus uh, 20. Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus 20. But they each have their own emphasis on why rest on the Sabbath. So Exodus 20 explains that it's because God made our creation in six days and he rested on the seventh day. Whereas Deuteronomy 5 explains that it's to remember that we're slaves in Egypt and that God got us out of there. In other words, Sabbath allows us to enjoy creation. It's a reminder that we're actually not the center of the universe. It doesn't depend on us, but on God. And knowing that, we can rest in him. Knowing that we're not just a cog in the wheel. It's a little humbling. I was telling a few people earlier that my Sabbath tradition growing up was is Sundays, and we'd go to church in the morning, then we'd usually go to Swish LA for Christian chicken on this Sunday afternoon, come home, and we would be forced to have a nap, and then once we got up from our nap, we could then go play in the backyard by ourselves. Uh, we weren't allowed in the front yard with our heathen friends. Uh, my parents didn't word it that way, but then we would kind of just wait down until it was the Sunday evening service where we could go back and see our other friends and even wear jeans to the Sunday service. But as time went on, I started feeling this disconnect between Sabbath and Sunday, especially if you get involved in the church service, in, in a church community, because how can you experience Sabbath when you're helping out in the nursery, in the kids' ministry, and on worship, and it, yada, yada, yada? How do you experience that when there's so many demands on you? How can you rest? So 
that made me rethink what does Sabbath look like for me, especially as I entered into ministry? What does it mean for us? What, what would it look like for us to set aside one day a week that would be different from others? So for some of you, most days you have a list of things to get done. So perhaps your Sabbath would be a day to set aside the to-do list. <laughs> Sorry about the sun. I'll, I'll get some curtains soon. <laughs> or for others, your work might be creating things. So for you, Sabbath, don't make anything on the Sabbath day. Have you ever actually tried taking one day and letting it be whatever you wanted it to be? And like I said earlier, it sounds great, but when I've tried this before, I wind up miserable. I do. I, I, it, so when I started working in ministry, I would take Mondays off. But when Amanda was teaching, um, our calendars were offset. So I would kind of have Sabbath alone. And Amanda's like, you should get some hobbies and do things. So I would try going to different coffee shops or going to the pool and doing laps um, and then sitting in the hot tub mainly. Um, <laughs> but I found that I would get home and I would just be irritable. And Amanda would come home from work and I just didn't want to be talk to. I'd be listening to my emo music, and I'd just be thinking, what's the point of all of this? But all of this would leave me wondering, what, what's wrong with me? What, what's wrong with this day when I'm supposed to be tapping into the mother load of energy and recharging my batteries? I'd rather be working, and maybe I just didn't have any cool hobbies. But ultimately, I found the day to be very hard, and not only that, if I stayed around home, I, I could barely keep my eyes open just after lunch. So here's what I've come to observe, though, over time. Most of our days, we wake up and we go. So we have school, work, lists, projects, meetings, our phone rings, beep, buzz, alerting us to everything that we have to do, people we have to talk to. And all of this motion is a stimulus for our bodies, like a hit or a drug. In fact, I've recently read that smartphone addiction activates the same part of our brain as cocaine, but it's easier to quit. So there is hope, but, but this, this leading researcher was saying, when you give your kids technology, iPads, ta your tablets, your phones, it's, think of it as handing them a gram of cocaine or a bottle of wine. Seriously. I have the article to back it up. <laughs> because you see that you have a new text. The, the buzz goes off, and then you get, get this ripple of excitement through you. And you're like, yes. Or you might get a ripple of dread, which I used to get with my cell phone too, thinking, oh, no, it's work. But it's exciting to keep moving. If you're being contacted, it means people are thinking about you. People need you. You have a role to play. You matter. And all of this affects us spiritually. And all of these things might be good, but I think it's also very seductive because it feels good to be needed by people. But then we can become addicted to the pace and to that hit. And have you ever checked your phone only to discover that there were no missed calls or text messages? That's depressing. Like, we'll go to my parents' cottage where there's no cell phone service. And after a week of being up there, you kind of turn on your phone and you're thinking, 
this is going to be full of important things. And there's nothing except if you want 25,000 Shoppers Optimum points. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> but you see, my observation is that when you take away all of the stimulants, our bodies actually kind of fall into the state of shock. Like, what are you doing to me? Where's the excitement, the hit, the adrenaline rush? Am I really supposed to just do nothing? And that's what forces us to crash. Barely keeping ourselves awake mid-afternoon on a day we're supposed to be resting and re-energizing. And instead wondering, what's wrong with us? It's, it's the crash. It's this lack of speed. That this one day of slowing down, it actually exposes the overload of speed and stimulus and the insane pace on the other six days. When we spend a day being fully present, we quickly discover how much of the rest of our lives we aren't fully present. So to find true rest, I believe we need to rediscover Sabbath, a day that's different from the others, a day when we act like the work is done, even if it isn't, to set boundaries and say, when am I going to check my phone? When am I not? When am I going to be present with my kids? And when do I need to work? It takes intentionality. But you see, we also tend to measure time by what we can get out of it. And, but when you begin practicing Sabbath, you find that you're, you actually begin relating to time in a different way. Think about some of your most favorite moments and memories in life. In those moments, time fades away because you're nowhere else but in the present moment. You might think to yourself, whoa, time just flew by. Or where did all the time go? Or I lost track of time. Because you're not measuring it by what you can get out of it. And when you begin spending one day a week relating to time in a different way, it will gradually influence the way you think about time in the remaining days. Sabbath isn't just something that we do or don't do. Sabbath, it spills over and it leaks. It changes how we live on the other six days. So when you stop to pay attention, you actually learn how much you've been missing out. Sabbath is a day when you spend Remembering that efficiency, production, they're not God's highest goals for your life. Joy is. Enjoyment of his creation. But like I said, to live with this rhythm requires that you be intentional about what you're doing and when you're doing it. So you need to decide individually, together as a couple, as a family, when will be your Sabbath? What day are you going to set aside to be different? And this may look different for everyone. And in fact, you, you may not be familiar with a bit of the heartbeat behind our Saturday evening services. It's not just because the space was available. When I first started this thinking about church planting and what God might be leading us to, I remember meeting with a pastor in Hamilton. His name's Dallas. And I I told him about this idea of a Saturday service because Amanda and I had experienced it on an Easter weekend, actually. And I said, I would love to have a Saturday evening service 
because I, I feel like it could help usher us into Sabbath on the Sunday. And then around the same time, Chris and Alex had joined us, and his work schedule had changed so that she's a teacher Monday through Friday, and, and he works Tuesday through Saturday. And so he comes right up from work and helps lead us in, in worship. But then I thought, how, how cool is that, that then together we can come around as a family and usher each other into this Sabbath rest on Sunday. So that's part of the intentionality behind our Saturday services, so that we can rest and be present with our friends and families and with God on Sabbath. So here's another cool thing about living our value of rest. It actually allows us to be at our best. And it, I believe it helps us model our other values of acceptance, authenticity, generosity, community. Because more often than not, we keep moving from one thing to the next without slowing down to feel some of the, the wounds and the bumps and bru bruises that life has thrown at us throughout the week. Have you ever had this ugly confrontation with someone and then you've had to race off to another meeting or be with someone and you haven't had time to process that? I've had a few of those which have been either devastating later on or at the, the, the following meeting where I've broken down into tears. It's tough. But what happens is more often than not, we actually suppress it and we hold on to it and we absorb it. And then it comes out in these crazy ways later on. Have you ever gotten really angry at like the, the, a drawer in the kitchen? And you just freak out or something falls off the shelf in the garage and you're kind of like, where's this coming from? Well, chances are we haven't slowed down to process what's actually going on in our life, the bumps and bruises that we've absorbed throughout the week. <coughs> I've learned this firsthand, that it's built up from days and days, and sometimes maybe even months and months or years and years of not allowing ourselves to process it. So it accumulates in our hearts, our cells, our psyches, and it expresses itself at the strangest times. So it's not the kitchen drawer that you're angry at. That just allows you to express some of the pent-up frustration that's going on, the grief and the pain that's sitting right below the surface of your life. Sabbath rest forces you to listen to your life. But there's one more aspect to rest that changes everything, and that's Jesus. Our, our mission back there says making Jesus known, seeing lives change, transforming our community. All of it hinges on Jesus. I shared a story of a month ago when I was speaking with someone, and she said, I love all the stuff you're saying and the hope that you have, but can you just not talk about Jesus or God? I said, no, because that's our reason for everything for acceptance, authenticity, generosity, community, to see lives change, to transform our community. It's based on Jesus. And in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, I, I like the way that it's worded in the message. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything 
heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. What Jesus is actually saying in that context, in that day, is, is that he himself is rest. He's saying, come to me. Jesus is embodying rest. Jesus is rest. So in Jesus, we don't need to strive. We don't need to worry. We don't need to prove ourselves. In Jesus, we're valued. We're worthy. We're accepted. And we're loved. And that is rest. So just as I wrap up, I I just want to then segue this right into communion. Because I believe that as Jesus embodies rest and says, come to me. He also demonstrates this example of the Lord's table and tells us to do this to remember him, to remember his sacrifice, to remember what he gave for us. But then to know that we can rest knowing him. We can rest in him. And we can enjoy all that he's created. So let me just close in a word of prayer. And uh, then if the worship team, if you guys want to even come up first and take communion and then uh, lead us in some worship, that would be awesome. But Heavenly Father, God, show us how to rest in you. Teach us, instruct us, and May you be the beginning of our discussions of how to create rhythms of rest in our church community, in our family life, in our work life. God, I pray that as people enter our spheres of influence, or if they enter the the church, or as we go out into the community, God, I, I pray that people will pick up this sense of rest, and that as we embrace and live out this new way of life and live out Sabbath, that it will spill over and that we will relate to time on a completely new and different level. And God, I, I pray that we can bring others in and show them that they can step off this treadmill of life. And they can slow down because you are in control. You've got our backs, God. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for walking with us. God, we just uh, come to you now and remember you in the act of communion. In your name we pray. Amen.